Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. With me, as always, is Charles W. Chuck Bryant. Put us together, and you've got the podcast duo that's huge in Dallas. Yeah, you got a lot more than that. Yeah. Got about 400 pounds of hairy goodness. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Slippery, hairy goodness. Yeah, 400 pounds, and I'd say at least 100 pounds of that is hair. Yeah. Right? I wish. If, if I could get a haircut, and that would solve that problem, and a shave. You did get a haircut. We have the same haircut. That's we right. have matching hair. It's yes. like, um, it's called the five guard. Yeah, four guard. You go. <laughs> Is there a five? Yeah, I want, I want. I go a five. And I do a four, and then I do a three on the sides. Hmm. Just feather it up. You know, it's weird. This conversation. It's a, yes. <laughs> uh, Yumi says that she can smell a new haircut. You know how you can smell a freshly cut lawn. Uh huh. She says she can smell a new haircut, and I'm like, no one else on the planet can. We even looked it up. There's no reference on the entire internet's to smelling a, fr- a f- huh. new haircut, right? Maybe she's a super taster smeller. I was going to say, I I don't think that that translates to taste, Chuck. Okay. But. Is that her segue? I think that works kind of, right? I mean, um, consider this. You know when you've ever smelled something? Uh-huh. And you're like, I know what that would taste like. But it wouldn't taste like that. But you just you can tell how something sure. would taste or how you would imagine it would taste. Right. The reason it's so easy to imagine that is that smell and taste are uh, as similar as any two senses are because they're both reactions to chemicals. Yeah. Right? Uh, olfactory is smell. Gustatory, we'll probably say those words, is mm-hmm. taste. Very nice. I love gustatory. And the the types, there are different types of mo- molecules that react to different types of um, senses, right? Yes. So uh, you have an odorant that we smell right. that reacts with our, our um, odor receptors. Right. And then you have uh, gustants or tastants. Yes. I prefer tastants. I'm a gustant guy. Are you? Uh-huh. Um, that react with the taste receptors on our tongue, right? Right. But because they're so close, you know, you, you really actually can't have one without the other, which if you've ever had, um, you know, any industrial accident associated with chlorine, you'll know that not only can you not smell any longer, you can't taste any longer. Yeah. Or that's why like, food uh, tastes weird when you have a cold. Mm-hmm. Like Patty and Selma. They had an accident. I can't remember right. what happened, but they uh, everything tastes like cardboard to them. It was like this <laughs> offhanded thing they said in The Simpsons, but it, like after it sunk in, I'm like, that's the most depressing thing I've ever right. heard. Yeah, they were big smokers too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess that was my Patty and Selma. Uh, since you mentioned it, we should go ahead and point out a little factoid here that uh, worms and other invertebrates actually there's no distinction between taste and smell. Yeah. They're like, why Why put any kind of division up? We're just going to call it all one thing. But... My head looks like my butt, so what's the difference? <laughs> right. They distinguish, though, between volatile and non-volatile organic compounds. Right. Right? Which means that if you paint uh, a room and yeah. put a worm in it, it knows that you just painted that room. Right. Or if you got your hair cut. <laughs> right. Perhaps. Yeah. Uh, so I guess we should talk about... These uh, GRCs, gustatory receptor cells, taste buds, that's kind of where it all happens. It is. And, you know, the taste buds are the little, oh, I guess they're part of the little bumps on your tongue. Well, yeah, it's actually under that. Yeah. Well, Isn't that how that works? It's wrapped up in a package, right? Yeah, it looks like a little spring onion, like the butt of a spring onion. Or a radish. It looks like a radish. It does. Or a beet. 
<laughs> it looks like one of those. Maybe even a weird garlic. Or you know what it looks like here? It looks like a hot air balloon. It looks like um, one of those boxing uh, oh, yeah. things. Speed bag. Yes. Nice, Chuck. Um, within this little, what's called a papilla. 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 Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't think you're supposed to say it like that. Sure. Within that, there's 50 taste receptors, and they're generally right. specialized taste receptors, right? And they're going to yeah. be a, the same kind of taste receptor in every papilla. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you've got 50 of those, some basal cells, which are uh, skin cells. They produce skin cells, right? Yeah, not basal as in the plant. That basil. would be great if basil. I had basil that lived in my tongue at all times. You would be turned on. Yeah. Remember? Oh, that's right. It's an aphrodisiac mm-hmm. for men. Yes. Just for men gel. Um, <laughs> Wouldn't that be great if we were actually sponsored by things and we just worked them in like that? Yeah, it's called product placement. Right. Yeah, Didn't we right. do one on that? We did. Um, so you have about 50 receptors in this little papilla, some basal cells, mm-hmm. and um, you have a little, each each receptor cell has a little hair sticking out of it. Yeah, a gustatory hair. Right. <laughs> it's not Italian, though. No, but it, all of it does sound Italian. That's from what I gather from this photo uh, rendition is that that is what you actually see poking up on your tongue, right? The the little round thing is actually the little gustatory hairs, isn't it? That's what it looks like. It's coming out of the top of the speed bag, right? And they come out of taste pores, and it's the gustatory hair where all the actions taking place, right? Yeah, that's where flavor and taste. Well, that's where taste starts, right? Say you put a bite of steak in your mouth, mm. right? Umami. So the the um the saliva, yeah, that's that key. is breaking down the the meat. It's the first step in breaking it down, and uh, it's breaking it into these little molecules called yeah. tastants or uh, gustants. Yes, yes, depending on your preference. And um, these molecules uh, bind to the saliva, are taken across the tongue, and they stick to the receptors that are generally uh, designed to, uh, if you believe in intelligent design, right. designed to right. um, create the sensation that we call taste. Or and they taste, just happen to match up, if you don't believe in intelligent design. Right, exactly. <laughs> nice. Good luck. Nice. And Chucker's taste is much different from flavor, isn't it? Let's define taste and flavor because this is a big this is a big thing. Yeah, flavor. I think uh, Sarah Dowdy actually has stuff you missed in history class. Fine mm-hmm. podcast. She wrote this, and the way she put it, which I thought was great, was flavor is is sort of like a full body, and we'll get into actually that stuff later with the gut cells. But flavor is a whole body experience. Right. It's um, all your senses, including smell, obviously, uh, tactile. And she said that with spicy food, pain is factored in as one of the aspects of flavor. Yeah. I love that. So taste is this this tastant molecule wrapped up in your saliva smacking against a gustatory hair. Yeah. it's It sends a transmission to your brain. Right. And your brain encodes it and says, umami. Right? <laughs> right. Right. Or salty. Right. There's different voices for each taste, as I'm sure you know already. Oh, yes. Um, Don't ask me to do sour. But that, that's <laughs> just the, uh, we will later. That's just the um, taste. The flavor is that the pressure that the steak puts on your tongue. Right. Um, the the uh, the tactile sensation of, you know, the, the kind of ends of the meat. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's mm-hmm. just kind of dancing across your tongue. Yeah. Or if you like your steak rare or medium rare like I do. Me too. That just that lump of like warmish 
coldish, <laughs> bloody flesh. Right, yeah. yeah. And then, like you said, pain, too. All of our vegetarian fans just turned off. Right, yeah. They just are so disgusted right now. But that whole sensation is flavor, and all these yeah. different sensations are going to the brain, and the brain's like, yeah. oh, steak. Yeah. You know what I want to know? And actually, just thought of this. What is the deal when you, like, eat a piece of cheese? Someone will tell me this, I'm sure. Like, you get a piece of sharp cheddar, and it feels like your jaw locks up. You ever have that with certain flavors? No. Really? Your jaw lock? I, I know with, like, a really dill sour flavor, I'm like, Mwah. No, I'm talking about, Jerry, have you ever had that with cheese? Jerry's asleep. <laughs> Jerry's <laughs> like, like, I'll put a piece of cheddar talking? in my mouth, and my my jaw just, like, clenches, like, noticeably clenches. I have no idea what you're talking about. Jerry just said yes. Jerry doesn't know what we're talking about at all. Well, that may be, you know, we're going to talk about super tasters in a minute. There are different types of tasters, we found out. Mm -hmm. It's not the same for everyone, so maybe that's one of my, you know, my kinds. Right, and here's a little spoiler about super tasters. The key to super tasters, they have more taste buds. Yeah. (laughs) It's huge. Boring. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right, so Chuck, um, there are, of course, what every uh, school kid knows, our primary tastes, right? Yeah, sweet, salty, sour, bitter. Right. Back in our day, that was it. That's all the taste you get, right, Sonny? Yeah. Uh-huh. And um, what was it? Salt, sweet, sour, bitter. Yeah. Right. And then um, what's funny in the Western world, for a good century after a fifth taste was discovered, we still stuck to these four and didn't recognize that there was yeah. a fifth one, Americans, right? Because the researcher was Japanese, right. and his work was never translated to English. So in about 1900, 1901, um, a Japanese researcher named uh, Kikune Ikeda. Yeah. Thank you. Ikeda? Ikeda. Ikeda? Yeah. In the early 1900s, he discovered um, something called umami, which means a... Delicious, savory taste in Japanese, right? Right. What he was doing was uh, he was he was cooking some of that Japanese seaweed that we both love, and he was like, you know what? This is neither sweet, salty, bitter, or sour. So he started researching it, and he found out that uh, he isolated the glutamic acid and found out that it had its own gustatory receptor. So he's like, this is legit. Right. Except and he said it in Japanese, which his, is the problem. Right. Yeah. And, and everybody was like, what did that guy just say? Mommy, what the heck is that? <laughs> Let's go back to the World's Fair in St. Louis. Right. <laughs> That's some ice cream. Yeah. Um, so I, one of the reasons also that it was never really investigated over here is umami is much more of a flavor that is uh, in Japanese dishes. Like you said, seaweed. Right. Huge. But also over here we have uh, tomatoes and umami flavor. Meat. Meat. Yeah. Savory. Sure. Right? Um, and... Uh, Ikeda's research was backed up in the West in 1985. A little later. Yeah, when uh, some researchers started to try to isolate the taste for monosodium glutamate. And remember, uh, umami is uh, glutamic acid, right? Yes. So glutamate, glutamic acid. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to isolate the flavor of MSG, which is a pretty distinct savory flavor. Yeah. And they found that no combination of the primary taste, bitter, sweet, salty, sour, could replicate MSG. I wonder how they did that. I don't know. There's a lot going on in flavor science that is Uh, fascinating. Huge. Yes. But it's, yeah, I'm I'm curious. But they basically, yeah, you're right. They came away with nothing. All the combinations, they can't account for MSG and its magical properties of flavor and calories and uh, it's supposed to like make you feel full or something. Is that what they say? I don't know. No? With MSG? 
Yeah, I thought that was the deal with, or maybe that was just an urban legend. People are like, you know, Chinese food, MSG makes you feel awful. No, it makes you feel sick. It's called Chinese restaurant syndrome. Oh, that's and right. Chinese restaurant syndrome. I know with me, if I eat MSG, uh-huh. um, it's, uh, it, it feels like a claw is grabbing the top of my stomach. Really? It hurts so bad. Um, huh. Yeah, it's it's a lot of people are allergic to MSG, and of course Chinese restaurants were famous for yeah, using it. They don't it. use it a lot anymore, it, do they? I don't think so. And most most restaurants actually advertise whether or not right. they use it. Well, they advertise that they don't use it. They don't advertise like with MSG, <laughs> right? Now with it's MSG. seen as a bad thing. Sure. Uh, but remember, we got a um, a listener mail in once from somebody whose family owned a bunch of Chinese That's restaurants. Right. And was like, yeah. you guys talk about Chinese restaurants in there because MSG's found in like snack chips or, right. you know. And we get all the blame. Right. And it's ju- it's not just Chinese restaurants. And a lot of Chinese restaurants have stopped using yeah. MSG. So there you go, listener. We satisfied that two-year-old listener mail. Yeah. Just we now. finally get around to it. And did you hear what a pro I was? I didn't cite the snack chip that he used as an example. That's how good we're getting. Wow. Yeah. My mind is blown right now. Mine too. So, um, like you said, in uh, 2002, actually, is when Akita's study was finally translated into English. Right. So, many years even after 1985. Like, oh. Oh, yeah, right. So, from that point, umami um, was accepted as an as the official fifth taste. Savory. Right. And then, but think about it. So, that's like a century because the taste map, which we'll talk about, the tongue map, yeah, it's a punk. That was established in 1901, about the time that yeah. Ikeda was coming up with the uh, umami. Right. But it was just that sweet, sour, salty, bitter, right? Right. Um, so for a century, the, the taste map didn't change. Right. And then in 2002, umami is accepted in the West, finally, right? And then it seems like the floodgates open, right? All of a sudden, like they're like, well, wait a minute. If there's a fifth taste, maybe we haven't been paying enough attention. Like fat is apparently now yeah. the sixth primary taste, right? Leave it to the French. Um, there are new studies now, Joshers, that says that, uh, well, they they think they've identified fat as its own thing, like humans have a taste for fat, and that the funny thing I thought, if you have a high sensitivity to that taste, you eat less fatty foods. You know, Chuck, that is, I think, um, a really, that's something that's going to become what gets taste research its funding. Is obesity and diabetes and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, because what they found is people who are, when you're talking about super tasters, super tasters who taste sweet things tend to eat less. Yeah. Um, su- tasters who, uh, a lot of people don't really detect the fat as mm-hmm. much. People who do have less body fat, you said, lower body mass index. Yeah. Um, so you don't eat the foods that you taste the most. Yeah, that's interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah, they did the, the lady did the one study on, uh, super tasters, and I think she found that women in their 40s at least, I guess that was her set, was, um, they were, uh, they gained less weight or they were, you know, slimmer. Right. Than non-super tasters. But Probably she didn't find- Because they were eating less of it. Yeah, but she but didn't find women, that in right? men, which I thought was odd. I guess men are just like we just shovel whatever. Yeah, in our mouth. bring it on. Yeah, or it's like, oh, you want me to lose some weight? Watch, I'll just drink water for a day, and there's fifty pounds shed. <laughs> right. Yeah. So Chuck, now it's 2010. Yes. And if you stick out your tongue, please stick out your tongue, Chuck. You know, I bit my tongue almost all the way off when I was a kid. Oh, I see that. Wow, it's like Frankenstein's tongue. Yeah, sort of. So, all right, Chuck, stick out your tongue, please. Still. Um, so we've got umami, uh-huh. we've got sweet, yeah. sour, uh-huh. bitter, yeah. salty, yeah. fatty, yeah. yeah, yeah, and uh, a lot. It looks like the that's a pretty fat tongue, Chuck. Yeah, it's not, it's not <laughs> thick though. Yeah, fat. I, uh, this is worse than the beet boof. <laughs> 
<laughs> I like the beep boop. Um, and we also have, uh, they've recently discovered that we actually have specialized receptor cells that detect carbon dioxide. Yeah. Well, should we finish the tongue map real quick at least and why it's bunk? Sure. Uh, because you were pointing, but people can't see you point, Josh. So the, the classic tongue map says that bitter is in the back, sour is on the side, salty is on the front edge, sweet is on the tip. And umami, they're they're throwing on the posterior and saying that that's where that is. Yeah, they're like that. That real estate's open. That's where we'll put umami. <laughs> Stake your claim. But they're they they've also found that um that there's fat somewhere has to go in there somewhere, right? Yeah. Do, do they know where that is yet? Uh, it's still I, new. Yeah, it's too new from what I understand, right? right? But I think it's it's not just it's. I think it's going to take the 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 tongue map away that's going to be done away with because there are primary tastes certainly but they're finding that you know the whole tongue map when it was invented in 1901 by P. Hannig yeah, yeah. In a German researcher um, basically what he did was to say areas of low sensitivity were depicted like there was no sensitivity. Like yeah. there's those lines that like there's actual borders. Right. And yes, maybe this area of the tongue is higher in uh, receptor cells for umami or right. sweet or bitter, but that doesn't mean that it, it's not found elsewhere on the tongue as well. Yeah. And so a lot of tastes are a mixture of all of these, number one. Well, sure. And all he did was interview people. He did. Which I thought was odd. Yeah. His research was backed up in 1974 by uh, uh, Virginia Collings, right? Well, sort of backed up and sort of not. Well, it was kind of like revised, I guess. It's yeah. It's like, yes, his he, he was right in saying, like, this area has higher and sweet receptors than right. this area. So you could conceivably put a tongue map, but maybe it was just kind of pushed the wrong way. And yeah. that um, and There's overlap. Yeah. Collings was the one who was saying, like, this is a lot. There's a lot of interplay going on, including CO2. Let's get back. Can we talk about yes. CO2 finally? Now is the time. That's pretty cool. I mean, uh, you sent me this over the emails a couple <laughs> of days ago. Right. And said, dude, you you tapped me on the head and said, dude, you know that bubbly stuff? You think that's that's what's making that taste in your mouth? And it's not. No, actually. there We have uh, a gene that um, expresses an enzyme that's meant to detect carbon dioxide in the bloodstream, right? So yes. we can break it down into useful forms. Right. Um and they've for uh, forever basically we thought that any time we drank a carbonated drink it was the popping of the little bubbles yeah. on our tongue that created that sensation uh-huh. not so fast they uh-huh. have put people in a pressurized chamber hyperbaric chamber right no and bubbles given them soda that yeah has no bubbles present and people could still detect the carbon dioxide taste yeah so there's Yet another taste. There's no place on the tongue map right. for carbon dioxide, and yet there's specialized receptor cells for detecting it, right? Yeah. Well, because they, like everything else, they said, this is interesting. Let's get some mice and genetically uh, make them different and weird and test them out. Right. And they did that, and they found it was the same receptor as sour, right? Yes. What they... um the sour receptor basically doubles as a yeah. CO2 detector as well. They remove that in mice. Yeah. Um, and also they put a sensor into one of their nerves, which is pretty interesting in and of itself that we can do that. I know. It's crazy. So those those combination, those series of studies mm-hmm. um, led to this discovery that we have uh, CO2 detectors. And what an important discovery that that is right and chuck <laughs> it, it is is it i think so what does it mean well that's the whole thing it leads you to the question chuck why do we have taste anyway there's uh, one obvious answer is that um we are we learn to eat by deriving pleasure from it 
And we associate yeah. some tastes with they're pleasurable, right? Well, yeah, but early man, it was uh, a lot of times like warning systems. Well, this is the less obvious answer, right? Yeah, like if they ate something sweet, they would like appeal to them. It's you know, it gives them a lot of calories. And so that's a good thing. If they tasted something really bitter, it might be poisonous. Right. So you should spit that out. Right. Sour could be spoiled. Sure. Something that was rotten. Or it could be, you know, a uh, sweet and sour candy, which is yummy. Right. If you're early man. Right. (laughs) And and with early man, we had yet to figure out a way to encode ideas and warnings about, like, not to eat something through, you know, the written word. Um, So we had to use our taste senses on our own. And we still – that's what's so cool. That's why I love evolution. All these years later – that's why we're still attracted to sweet things, mm-hmm. because that was survival. It gave you calories to live, basically food energy. Right, but we have also gotten to the point where we are—you could say—a reasonably fat society here in the U.S. And you mix that together with health consciousness or mm-hmm. self-consciousness, especially. <laughs> yeah. And all of a sudden, you have artificial sweeteners which you would think is good for your body. But they found that there's a correlation between using um, artificial sweeteners right. and type 2 diabetes, Yeah. right? And they figured out, th- through this investigation, they figured out that there are taste cells elsewhere in the body. It's right. not just the tongue. And we're getting this idea that not only are tastes, um, they're more primary tastes than we realize. Tastes are interplays yeah. of, of different um, receptor cells. Right. And there's taste cells Elsewhere in the body, in the gut specifically, but also yeah. probably in the pancreas, in um, the liver, yeah. in other areas. So these tastent, these molecules that are bound with saliva and that enter the gut, they start sending out other signals rather than meaty. Right. Like what we were saying that the, um, like a bitter taste might be something poisonous. Sometimes you'll eat something poisonous and it gets past the old tongue. Right. And you swallow it and that's when the gut's taste cells kick in and that's why you might... Like, it might spur vomiting. Right. It, tr- it triggers your vomiting reaction. Thank God. Yeah. Um, that's one way. With the type 2 diabetes, uh, with the uh, sweet receptors in the gut are signaled by something sweet. Yeah. They uh, tell the blood to start absorbing insulin, right? Yeah. Or they start, they tell up. the uh, surrounding cells to start absorbing insulin. Uh, glucose, I'm sorry. Yeah. Burn for energy. Uh-huh. So insulin, which actually, Chuck, you remember we've talked about before, and I think whenever we talked about longevity, insulin's like the worst thing for your body. Right. But we use it to go into cells to the, basically open the cells so glucose can go be burned. Yeah. Um, and you, but if the glucose doesn't arrive, if there's no sugar eaten, right. and it's just an artificial sweetener, that signal is still triggered. But it's The false. insulin still goes and jams yeah. open your cells. But nothing gets burned. Right. And the insulin levels go up and you have type 2 diabetes. So that's the tie between drinking like a diet soda right. and leading potentially leading to diabetes. Right. But isn't that interesting that we've yeah. figured out something new about taste, that it's all over. I know. It's an all over sensation is what they're coming up with, right? That's crazy. So what else do we have, Chuckers? Well, I think we finally need to just um, map out the super taster thing just a little bit more. Right. Because super tasters are pretty cool and how it all happened is really cool. <clears throat> Shall I tell the story? I'd like to hear the story, Chuck. Uh, way back in the 1930s, a scientist named Arthur Fox from DuPont was pouring some, and this is like every like OSHA, this is the worst nightmare when they hear stories about this, <laughs> laboratory stories like this. This dude was pouring some uh, PTC. Do you want to say the long name? Uh, I do, but I have to find it first. I'm not prepared to say it. It is 
Phenyltheocarbamide. Yeah. Very nice. Thank you. So he was pouring some of this PTC. It's an organic uh, compound into a beaker. And the way he described it was, he says, it suddenly became a cloud that started shooting all over the room. <laughs> and this is when OSHA's like, oh, God. Yeah. And uh, it f- basically filled up this room. And he was in there with his partner. And his buddy was like, ah, 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 it's awful. It's so bitter. And he was like, what are you talking about? Wow. That's not bitter. What, what do you mean? And then, you know, that triggered the conversation. Wait a minute. What's going on here? Mm-hmm. You had a really awful reaction. And apparently... I've seen studies on YouTube. This they don't use PTC anymore because it's dangerous, <laughs> right? But uh, it, apparently, it, it's so bitter. It's like the reactions are hysterical. So he goes home and he starts putting this stuff on his family's tongues and his friends' tongues to see if they react the same way. And he found that there's no rhyme or reason who it happens to because it's a genetic trait. Hmm. And they said it's what they used to use this for. It's so uh, specific. Of a genetic trait, they used to use it for paternity cases, like up through like the 1970s. Holy cow! Yeah, it's as they said, it's the the most like uh, one of the most common Mendelian traits, right up there with like eye color and blood type, is whether or not PTC makes you like freak out with bitter. Really? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That's a, that's a terrible test. Yeah. So, and it's it's a specific gene. There's a dominant allele for the TAS2R28 gene, right? Yes. They've, they've isolated that? Yes. Yeah, 70% of people, this is what's weird, 70% can it gets the bitter taste, 58% of Australians, and 98% of Native Americans in both North and South America. Hmm. Almost all of them have that reaction. Really? Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah. I don't even know what it means. I just thought it was interesting. So the, in 1991, um, there was a researcher from Yale who coined the term super tasters, right? Yes. And it's not just bitter, and it's not just people who react to um, PTC or PCP. Yeah. Right? Everyone reacts to PCP. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but whether or not you get you beat up 10 cops, I think, is yeah, probably... Sure. That's a paternity test, too. <laughs> right. Let's see how you react to PCP. Right. Uh, it, it's not just uh, this bitter taste, right? You can have a super taster who really tastes sweet things. Right. Really tastes umami. Really, t- it's a primary taste, right? Yeah. That's just heightened. And like we said, the spoiler is you, you just generally have more of uh, these papilles. Yeah. You have and, more taste buds of a certain sure. type than other people. Yeah, and it can be a good thing. Like to have a heightened sense can be good in certain respects, but it also apparently uh, um, like coffee and uh, Brussels sprouts and really sweet and spicy things, super tasters can't handle that a lot of times. So it's a curse as well as a blessing. Yeah. I would say. I can't handle broccoli, but it has nothing to do with taste. You know, I like all veg. I've been eating beets like crazy lately. Yeah? Ever since that beet salad? Yeah, I've been making my own beet salad. Yeah. I've been grilling beets, a little balsam, a little olive oil. I have not had that. I'll have to try it. Put it on the grill, and then the next day you're going to think you need to go to the doctor. But it's just the beets. That's all I'll say. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> so uh I, that's pretty much it like we said um if you're a super taster also it supports that um that aversion to foods that you you can taste more than other people yeah. super tasters who um are are uh sensitive to sweet tend to eat less sweets yeah and etc but they also avoid leafy greens which is not good no you gotta have that yeah Especially oh you know what pregnant actually we forgot to mention they don't use ptc anymore but they do use prop as the test now which is a, a, it's a synthetic compound. They just call it prop. 
Right, and they use it in um, thyroid medicine, right? Yeah, but now that's that's the standard super taster test to see if you have that bitter reaction to that. So they just give you thyroid medicine, or they drop some prop on your tongue. I don't know. Right. I don't know how it works. Weird. Uh, and then lastly, Chuck, the answer to why a lot of stuff tastes like chicken. I don't know this. Surprise me. They have, um, well, at least at Cornell, using gas chromatography, they have isolated a thousand um, concentrations, chemical concentrations. And 900 of them are chicken? That, uh, that contain tastants, that the human right. tongue can taste, or uh-huh. that the human brain consensus taste. And they used to think it was hundreds of thousands. They're like, no, it's just thousands. And chicken is like... 999 of them. Really? Well, I made up the chicken part. That's my theory. Okay. (laughs) My theory is that it's because there's only 1,000 instead of 100,000. There's your answer right there. Yeah. And then lastly, Chuck, that also makes me wonder if there's 1,000 chemicals, Uh and they used to think it was hundreds of thousands, so there's hundreds of thousands of chemicals out there, but we can only taste 1,000. It's kind of like light. you know. We can only see within a certain band of light. It makes you wonder how things that we can't taste, taste. You just chew on that one. And if you want to know more about taste, wow. go to HowStuffWorks.com where you can type the word taste in the handy search bar. Uh, and also, uh, this is, I think, requisite listening for a molecular gastronomy podcast that we'll do sometime in the future, don't you think? Yeah. All right. Let's I'd do love it. to do one on that. All right, Chuck. Then you know what time it is, right? Listener mail or are we doing some sort of sh- uh, Facebook or anything? Oh, wait. We got our big, uh, big announcement. We yes. Do. Yeah, that's right. Thank you for reminding us. Go ahead. Uh, our Atlanta event, right? Yeah, we're going to do an Atlanta thing similar to what we did in New York. Yes. Because we got called out by all the Atlanta folks. We're like, you go to New York, you New York, New York. What about Atlanta? Yeah. Well, we're like, yeah, we kind of have to. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're going to do uh, trivia night, right? Yeah. All, all comers can come take us on. Yeah. Uh, we'll figure out the details, but um, we're looking for venues still. Yeah, we could use you people for details. If you are in Atlanta and you have some connections with what might be a good venue mm-hmm. to host our trivia, please get in touch with us. Yeah, so uh, yeah, we'll keep you posted. If you have any suggestions, comments, whatever about the Atlanta thing, email us. And now, Chuck. Sh- wait, well, it should be sometime in August, we should point out. Okay. Very we, nice. don't, we don't have it locked down yet, but look for it in the next like six weeks. Right. Now, listen to me, all right? Yeah. All right, Josh, I'm going to call this uh, Rare Shoutouts because we don't do these very often. Shouts out. Shouts out. Shouts out. I'm like the new William Sapphire. <laughs> Hi, Josh and Chuck. Uh, my husband and I are huge fans of your podcast. We eagerly wait every Tuesday and Thursday so we can hear what you have to say. I guess that proves your fans. Yeah. Uh, now you can be my heroes as well. Next Saturday, July 17th, is my husband's 24th B-Day. Chuck, uh, this is very kind of you. I know. We don't do this very often. We just bought our first house. He made me promise not to buy him anything, I guess, because they just spent all their money on a house. Yeah. I uh, wonder if you give him a shout. Uh, I know you don't do this often, so let me tell you why he's cool enough to get a one-of-a-kind birthday greeting. His name is DJ Vile. <laughs> Seriously. He's in your Facebook group. V-I-L-E, DJ Vile. And I don't think is that's... Is he a DJ? No, I think that's his name. His name's Crazy. like Donald James Vile or something. Well, if he ever becomes a DJ, then... He's all set. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, just call me me. Uh, he, he, uh, he listens to every one of your podcasts. Eh. He's a huge Simpsons fan. Yeah. Eh. This what do you is mean, one, eh? Well, I mean, those are good, but that's not a reason to shout out. Okay. But these are. Okay. He ran a 10K as a green man. I know. I saw that. Wow. Is that a root suit? 
Uh, it was either, yeah, I think Green Man and the Root Suit are one and the same. Okay. So he actually ran a full 10K as Green Man. Yeah. And uh, lastly, he'll be spending his birthday driving to present his research entitled this, Interfraction Variability of Lung Tumor Motion Using 4D Cone Beam CT at a physicist medical conference in Philly. And this dude is 24 years old and he's doing that. I know. My brain is melted. So, with that... On the 17th, happy birthday, DJ Vile. <laughs> happy birthday, DJ Vile. Thank you very much for listening. And uh, Julie, your wife, uh, sounds like a, a very kind woman. She does. And yes. good luck presenting your findings and uh, yeah. best wishes for your new home. Mazel tov. All right, Chuck, thank you for the listener mail. Now it's time for shout out to Kiva. Kiva.org slash team slash stuff you should know or you just go to community, you can search stuff you should know. Right. Join our Kiva team. We are on a mission to raise a quarter of a million dollars in loans. And we're making it, and we're doing it with how many? We have hundreds of thousands of Stuff You Should Know listeners. Yeah. We have like 2,000 and change members on the Kiva team. Yeah, right? so there's like 180,000 of you out there that are really disappointing us. Right. And there's just this, but on the same token, we're very, very proud of the 2,000 and yes. change who are members of this Stuff You Should Know yeah. Kiva team. Star because students. so far, they've raised 170,000 and then some. Yeah. So far. And uh, we're on the included. way to, uh, we're yes, the yeah, we are included, but there's people on there who put us to shame. Yeah. You know? And they're, they're like heading like, it up on their own, too. Yeah, there's some really great people on there. Somebody who's like... Um, uh, somebody got a bonus at work and made a loan. Um, somebody, I think an auto repair wasn't as much as they thought, so they used the difference on Kiva. They yeah. made a loan on Kiva. I'm like not people that, good that of a just person. make us look yeah. like vile. Like I DJ find vile. twenty bucks on the ground, and like if I'm not hungry, I might think about not spending it on beer <laughs> and giving it to Kiva. I have a similar problem. Yeah. Uh, so. Thumbs up to our Stuff You Should Know Kiva team. If you want kudos from us, you can join it yourself. Again, that's www.kiva.org slash team slash Stuff You Should Know. Uh, it's a very welcoming community of people, right? Great people. We're on Facebook. We have yeah. a Facebook uh, page with 12,000 and then some fans, and we are extremely active on it. Yeah, it's, it's actually a fun Facebook page. Right. I should say Chuck is way more active than I am, but we well, you go, hold down I the go Twitter on. Thing. Yeah, I, I do Twitter. Um, but we, we, we're we both on there, but Chuck is really, really good about responding to people's comments and questions and stuff. So yeah. if you want to interact with us, especially Chuck, uh, you can go to facebook.com slash stuff you should know. We're also on Twitter, SYSK Podcast. You can follow us in our stupid musings and yeah. we get caught up in hoaxes and stuff and right. have to... Eat crow thanks to me. Right. Or we get told, you got to take that down. You can't say that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to get in trouble. You're going to get everybody in trouble. Uh, and then what's the last thing? There was one other thing. Oh, I don't I can't think of anything. T-shirts. Yeah. The T-shirt contest is over. We have five winners, and you can buy every single one of these awesome T-shirts, five different Stuff You Should Know designs at um, the Discovery Store. Uh-huh. Go to store.discovery.com and uh, search Stuff You Should Know, and it'll bring up all five t-shirts. Yes. And that's it, man. That's it. it. If you have anything cool to say to us or you want to hear it, put it in an email. Send it to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Want more How Stuff Works? Check out our blogs on the howstuffworks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?